Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're back in action discussing one of the biggest pending acquisitions in video game and entertainment history. That, of course, being Microsoft's purchase pending of Activision Blizzard King. Now, if you aren't familiar with this at all, we haven't talked about it at length in the past couple of weeks. Please do check out the Microsoft Times Activision playlist where we discuss basically every aspect of this thing. But today is a big episode because Microsoft, the pending future owner of Activision Blizzard King, has made a commitment that we really haven't seen in the technology or software space, at least in North America, as far as I can remember. Now, before we get into the specifics there, I do want to mention this is a Utreon and Patreon supported channel. We also have YouTube memberships if you are interested in those. And one of the tiers in the Utreon and Patreon support is being able to sponsor an episode of this series. And I want to give special thanks today to Opal Studded Dagger for sponsoring this episode. They have sponsored a number of episodes in virtual legality in the past. We cannot do it without viewers and listeners like Opal Studded Dagger and like you. So thank you very much. Now with that out of the way, let's talk about some specifics. So it was only a few days ago, June 10th, that Activision actually acknowledged the CWA as the collective bargaining entity that's going to be representing the quality assurance workers at Raven. Here it is, June 10th, Bobby Kotick, current CEO of Activision Blizzard, probably not long for that role after Microsoft concludes its purchase, says, I wanted to share the news that we will begin negotiations with the Communication Workers of America, CWA, related to the 27 quality assurance employees at Raven Software, the majority of whom have chosen to be represented by this union. With the election having concluded, we will engage in good faith negotiations to enter into a collective bargaining agreement. Now, we've talked about the specifics here. You can check out earlier videos in this playlist or just in general on this channel. But suffice it to say, this really was Activision Blizzard's only move at this point. What this press release says is effectively, we're not likely to appeal or otherwise cause trouble for this process. They went, they got their cards signed. We went to the National Labor Relations Board. We said that this shouldn't be a class that should be certified to have this vote. We lost there. They had the vote. A majority voted to have the CWA and Activision Blizzard, or at least Bobby Kotick here is saying, all right, fine. We're going to recognize the union. We're going to engage in a collective bargaining process. Now, they do mention it will take some time to complete. That might sound a little bit like an excuse coming from Bobby Kotick and Activision, but collective bargaining agreements are giant beasts of legal documents with two diametrically opposed forces negotiating very, very important positions, both for the survival of the company and the goodness and benefits for the employees. So it will take a little bit of time. It might even take more time than the deal with Microsoft and Activision itself, which is why another aspect of this story and the important one that we want to talk about today is the Microsoft side of things. The immediately prior video in this playlist was talking about Microsoft coming out with some announcements about how it generally was going to support the concept of unionization across the line, right? So we've got Union Shop, Microsoft announces new labor stance. You can check out that video. I highlighted a bunch. I walked through it with you. And one of the things I noted when I looked at this particular document was that it was well-written. It had a lot of good thoughts in it but it was a little bit of puffery. It was a little bit ethereal. There weren't a lot of actual commitments from Microsoft to actually 
encourage or otherwise abide by unionization efforts at the company. And that's not really their fault. This is kind of a good feelings type blog post that was going out there to once again establish that Microsoft are the good guys. You should feel good about them, especially if you happen to have a government identification that you regularly use at the Federal Trade Commission, because Microsoft is engaged in trying to get through one of the biggest deals in entertainment history. And they have said in other blog posts, in other contexts, that they understand that they are under scrutiny and they're trying to do things to make sure that the FTC and the other regulatory bodies around the world know that Microsoft is a good guy. Now, you can take that with whatever mileage you wish to give it, but it is worth noting that this is a relatively good sentiment. A lot of it is we will comply with the National Labor Relations Act and otherwise not be evil, uh, but it isn't really a commitment. Well, that changed this week. In a press release that was jointly issued by the Communication Workers of America and Microsoft, they announced what they are calling a labor neutrality agreement. Now, I did look around in the SEC and the various filings. I didn't see this actually filed by anyone. So we're going to be using the summary in the press release. If something changes later on with what the actual language of this agreement is, I will do a follow-up video on it. But we can get a good understanding of what this thing is just from the press release. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about neutrality and what it means and why it's actually been a kind of contentious issue in the recent past about whether or not employers can make commitments to an, a union organization that may or may not actually represent the employees in question. We'll talk on that in just a minute. For right now, press release. This is from the CWA website, but I looked at them and they appear to be the same press release from both directions. Microsoft announced labor neutrality agreement. Groundbreaking agreement will enable a new approach to corporate union engagement after Microsoft's active, uh, uh, acquisition of Activision Blizzard closes. And this is from yesterday. Today, the Communication Workers of America and Microsoft announced they have entered into a groundbreaking labor neutrality agreement. The agreement will apply at Activision Blizzard beginning 60 days after Microsoft's acquisition closes, and it reflects a fundamental belief by both organizations that enabling workers to freely and fairly make a choice about union representation will benefit Microsoft and its employees and create opportunities for innovation in the gaming sector. So that's just our first paragraph. This is obviously corporate message to hell and back by lawyers and everyone else at both the CWA and Microsoft. But we can already take a few things out of this. One, this specifically applies to Activision Blizzard, not Microsoft. You might see in the headline, this is Microsoft acknowledging a neutrality agreement with the CWA, but it's specifically applicable to Activision Blizzard and specifically applicable to that company 60 days after the acquisition closes. Now, that's an interesting window in and of itself. Why doesn't it become effective on closing? I suppose the argument would be, especially from the Microsoft side, that we have to go in there. We have to clean up some stuff. We're going to be reorganizing. We're going to be doing things on a redundant basis. We have to actually manage the merger. And two months after the closing, then we're able to look at what normal operations will be at this now combined company. And in general, I'm sympathetic to that position. And it looks like the CWA was as well. So it's going to apply to Activision Blizzard. It's going to apply 60 days after the closing, if that closing happens. And it doesn't apply to Microsoft more broadly. It's really about the gaming sector, as put forth in that first paragraph, and more specifically, Activision Blizzard. We'll talk on that a little bit more in the next couple of paragraphs. Here's a quote from CWA President Chris Shelton. This agreement provides a pathway for Activision Blizzard workers to exercise their democratic rights to organize and collectively bargain after the close of the Microsoft acquisition and establishes a high road framework for employers in the games industry 
Now, that's an interesting portion of the quote, right? Sure, this is a special circumstance. Microsoft is purchasing a company for just a little bit less than $70 billion, but, and this is within the CWA's purview, they want more union membership. They want to have bigger and more power. That is totally within their rights. And I would expect the president of the organization to say something like this. It might be special, but it can serve as a precedent. This should be a high road framework framework for employers in the games industry generally. Continuing with his quote, Microsoft's binding commitments will give employees a seat at the table and ensure that the acquisition of Activision Blizzard benefits the company's workers and broader video game labor market. The agreement addresses CWA's previous concerns regarding the acquisition, and as a result, we support its approval and look forward to working collaboratively with Microsoft after this deal closes. Now there's where the rubber hits the proverbial regulatory road. This agreement addresses our previous concerns regarding the acquisition. Now, if you remember from this playlist, or if you never saw it before, you know that we covered the fact that many people, including a number of senators and the CWA, sent in letters and information to the Federal Trade Commission asking them to look closely at this deal, i.e. to potentially prohibit it because of, among other things, labor ramifications. And I said in this video that that didn't make a ton of sense for the concept of this particular deal because Activision Blizzard's management are the ones that are otherwise under the gun and being sued with to hell and back and have made bad messaging statements and all the various other things that we have covered in the Activision playlist specifically, but that Microsoft didn't necessarily share that history and that in general, the antitrust laws are a poor vehicle we're doing something under labor law because the antitrust laws are more concerned with whether something is competitive or not. And in fact, in this letter, they had to argue that Microsoft would become a monopsonist buyer of employee, uh, employee services in the gaming sector, which is completely ridiculous. But either way, the CWA is now saying, now that we have this neutrality agreement in place, we're rescinding our objections to the Activision deal. So you can see the machinations behind the scenes just in the press release itself, which is always nice. We like transparency that Microsoft wants to have CWA not on its back to the Federal Trade Commission, potentially even offering positive assurances to that regulatory body on the labor question. And so entered into a neutrality agreement, which at least ostensibly comports with what they were saying in their blog post before from Brad Smith, their president and vice chair. So everything is lining up for getting the deal done. We'll see that they deny that uh, in quotes to the Washington Post as part of this video, but it all makes a general amount of sense. But now would be a good time to talk about neutrality as a concept, right? You might think that the laws already require something like neutrality from employers. Now, you might not think that if you've been in virtual legality for a while, because you might also know that employers have the right to be against a union. Employers have their own First Amendment rights, just as employees do, just as union bodies do. And so everybody's allowed to say what they want to say about these things. Microsoft appears to be committing here, and we'll see the summary in this press release in just a minute, to not opposing a union, not otherwise taking efforts that we saw, like the ones from Activision Blizzard that said, here's why a union won't work, here are the problems that it presents, please vote against the union. We saw those news articles, and they were presented pretty negatively in a lot of journalistic outlets. I did comment at that point in time and say, well, it's within their rights to say this is why we think a union would be bad, just as it's within the CWA's rights to say this is why a union would be good. Here, they're announcing a certain amount of neutrality. That neutrality affixes to Microsoft, it should be noted, not CWA. But why is it contentious? Well, in order to understand that, it's useful to look at 
a couple of things that happened in the last year or so. So this is a legal blog post. We'll note that this isn't official legal advice. They say that at the end, just like we say it at the end of our videos here. But this law firm talks about a recent change to the treatment of neutrality agreements, right? And this is as of February 2011. It says the recently appointed acting general counsel of the National Labor Relations Board, that's the NLRB to us, has issued guidance that he will support pre-recognition neutrality agreements entered into between employers and unions insofar as they are in accordance with the Obama board's decision in Dana Corp. Means nothing to most of us, right? But we can talk about it a little bit more uh, fulsomely. In Dana Corp, a union represented employees at nine of an employer's facilities and began an organizing campaign at an unorganized facility. This is a largely unionized company. In an unorganized facility, a union is going to try to organize. The employer and union entered into a framework agreement to govern their relationship during the union's organizing effort and in the event that the employees chose to be represented by that union. So this makes a lot of sense if you really think about it. They've got a bunch of facilities. They work with this one union. It is useful for the employer to only work with one union, uh, if anything, for logistical purposes and cost. The framework agreement specified that the employer would remain neutral towards its employees regarding organizing, and the employer would recognize and bargain with the union if a third-party card check showed that a majority of the employees supported representation by the union. So if you recall, that first step in the Activision story was to go do a card check, was to go put out signature cards for Activision employees to collect back and then be able to show Activision that, hey, we have majority support for this particular union. The only one that has been publicized, at least as of now, are the quality assurance testers of Raven, which is a subsidiary of the larger Activision entities. It was that card check where we saw articles go out and say, hey, Activision is denying recognition, which is a little bit of an unfair kind of statement of what's happening there. Elections, like we just saw, are the more normal way of having a union be recognized. But Activision didn't just take the card check. So what this agreement would be doing in this particular precedent case is saying, if you give me those cards, we promise to recognize you. Now that in and of itself isn't a big problem because an employer always has the right to recognize a majority approved union, but it can be trouble if it's not actually majority approved. The union was entitled to this card check recognition without the necessity of petitioning for and prevailing in an NLRB conducted secret ballot election. Additionally, the employer agreed to provide the union pre-recognition with a list of names and addresses of employees at the facility upon request and to permit the union to meet with employees for organizing purposes in non-work areas. So in this agreement, they will actually hand over the contact information for their employees to this union, effectively to help the union organize. Because again, in this particular context, the employer that's already dealing with the union would prefer to deal with just that one union. Finally, the framework agreement prohibited strikes or lockouts until the parties agreed to a first collective bargaining agreement or CBA. Now, here's where things get a little bit weird. The NLRB's then general counsel issued a complaint alleging that by entering into that framework agreement, the employer had rendered unlawful assistance to the union in violation of Section 8A2 of the National Labor Relations Act, and the union had restrained and coerced employees in the exercise of their NLRA Section 7 right to refrain from supporting a union in violation of Section 8B1A. Specifically, the general counsel argued that negotiation with a union over substantive terms and conditions of employment was illegal per se if it occurred before the union attained majority support. And this is an important bit of the National Labor Relations Act that doesn't get covered a lot, right? If we look at the National Labor Relations Act, Section 8, the big one, the one that we always wind up talking about, unfair labor practices. It shall be an unfair labor practice for an employer to do a whole bunch of things. But 
A2 here is to dominate or interfere with the formation or administration of any labor organization. And that makes sense, right? We think of employers as against unions. And if they were going to dominate it and prevent it from even being organized or formed, we've got an issue. Or contribute financial or other support to it, right? The premise of the National Labor Relations Act is that this is up to the employees. And it's not up to the employer whether they want to hurt the chances of a union or whether they want to help it. The employer should not be otherwise corrupting the process of what the employees want to do. So when you've got these agreements, you do have a question of, is the employer actually putting its thumb on the scale one way or the other of what the employees would do naturally? And as this particular article mentions, there's also a right in Section 7 for employees to not be prevented from being against the union. Right? Employees do not have to participate in the organizing activities. They can be against the union. They can refrain from supporting the union. And here, by turning over the names and things, this particular NLRB general counsel thought this could potentially be a problem. Now, as of February 2021, we have found that the National Labor Relations Board does not think that these agreements are largely a problem, but we have vagaries all over the place. The board noted that a certain amount of employer cooperation with the efforts of a union to organize is lawful, and the determination as to whether cooperation is unlawful is not susceptible to precise measurement. Uh-oh, that's not a great precedent. Let's just talk about any kind of subject matter. When you have your deciding body say, we'll know it when we see it. It's not susceptible to precise measurement. Of course, employees can kind of help and employers can kind of help those employees. Uh, where's the line? Uh, it's not here. Not a great set of rules for following in the future. Further, it noted that an employer may lawfully agree to remain neutral during an organizing campaign, may agree to voluntarily recognize a union upon proof of majority support, and may state its preference for unionization. Right. Anybody can say anything. If we go back to these rules, we've got these unfair labor practices. But here in the United States, we also have the First Amendment. So if we scroll and we scroll and we scroll, we get this provision. The expressing of any views, argument, or opinion, or the dissemination thereof, whether in written, printed, graphic, or visual form, shall not constitute or be evidence of an unfair labor practice under any of the provisions of this subchapter, so long as such expression contains no threats of reprisal or force or promises of benefits. You don't corrupt the process. Otherwise, you're allowed to say your true beliefs. The employer can say, we would love to have this union represent you, or we would very much dislike having this union represent you. And employees can say the same thing because that's how this act works. It is most important to acknowledge freedom of speech and to otherwise allow the employees to decide their own fate. And I think that's a pretty good balance, even though I know a number of commenters will say the United States rules on this are horrible, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely leave those comments. I love to hear about what other jurisdictions are doing and how they're approaching this issue differently. But as of right now, then this board in the Dana case says, well, they can do most of those things anyway, so it's not a problem. Ten years after the Dana Corp decision, the National Labor Relations Board General Counsel during the Trump administration, Peter Robb, authorized issuance of an unfair labor practice complaint against a Seattle hotel and union, alleging that the hotel violated the National Labor Relations Act by entering into a neutrality agreement with the union. The complaint included corresponding allegations, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Now, the issue here is discerning precisely what the Dana Corp decision permits is difficult because the board qualified its opinion with, we leave for another day the adoption of a general standard for regulating pre-recognition negotiations between unions and employers. So the Dana Corp board really didn't talk through a lot of these issues or provide a lot of guidance. So here you have a legal memorandum from a law firm saying, okay, potential clients or current clients, 
Here are the kinds of things that it appears are going to be okay. You can promise that you will remain neutral. You can promise you will inform your employees that you have a positive relationship with the union, that you will provide the union with your employee names, that the employer will permit union agents access to company premises, a no strike and no lockout clause will be in effect prior to recognition, and the employer and the union will not pursue unfair labor practices. We'll follow the law, which makes sense, isn't much of a commitment, uh, but is going to generally be allowed. And then there's a whole bunch of other stuff here. Maybe you can agree to benefits and things early on. As a reminder, the Dana Corp decision recites both that it is unlawful under the NLRA for there to be negotiation of a complete collective bargaining agreement before recognition, and any agreement containing substantial terms and conditions of employment would be unlawful. So that's what we're looking out for when we come back to this press release. But I wanted to have that sojourn into discussing this because neutrality hasn't been discussed in a tech context uh, very often, if ever. So neutrality sounds like a good thing. Microsoft is agreeing to be neutral. But if that were to go too far into actually putting its thumb on the scale in favor of the union, that could potentially be a problem. Do I think that's a risk for Microsoft in this case? I do not. But let's take a look at how they summarize this thing. The foundation of the agreement is a commitment to mutual respect and open communication, probably in the recitals, probably not a legal commitment. Its five basic provisions will apply to Activision Blizzard employees after close of Microsoft's acquisition. First, Microsoft will take a neutral approach when employees covered by the agreement express interest in joining a union, which we can at least posit is something like we won't say negative things about the union. We won't otherwise try to get in the way like Activision Blizzard did and They're in trouble in some respects on that, but for the most part was done legally in terms of their statements. Uh, We're not even going to do that. We would guess. Second, covered employees will be able to easily exercise their right to communicate with other employees and union representatives about union membership in a way that encourages information sharing and avoids business disruptions. This is the social media concept. This is the Slack channel concept. If those are employer technologies or materials, what can employees do within that space and not run afoul of any particular issues of their employer. That here, it sounds like Microsoft is saying, yes, you can use our Slack channels to do this kind of thing as long as it doesn't impact your work performance, which I think is a reasonable kind of uh, statement. But again, we're kind of guessing here with what these summaries are. It's also worth noting that we see two references here in the first two provisions to covered employees. When When employees covered by the agreement and covered employees here in these first two sentences. And one would be right to wonder what that means. Fortunately, we actually have some responses here. This is the Washington Post article. I will, of course, link this in the description to the video that had a conversation uh, with Mr. Smith at Microsoft. They also had a conversation with Mr. Shelton at CWA. Importantly, for our purposes here, Smith says, the agreement covers the large majority of workers at Activision Blizzard. There are certain categories that are excluded under the National Labor Relations Act, managers, people who have confidential positions, that kind of thing. But really broadly speaking, it applies to the employees of Activision Blizzard as a whole. Right. We don't want to get supervisors involved that can otherwise change things. Again, it's all about putting the thumb on the scales. But Mr. Smith does ignore one of the big ticket elephants in the room by saying that kind of thing. Because what is the most important thing that is excluded from these lists in the video game and technology industry? Well, let's ask the National Labor Relations Board, which says, which employees are protected under the NLRA? Most employees in the private sector are covered under the NLRA, but the law does not cover government employees, agricultural laborers, independent contractors, 
and supervisors, with limited exceptions. And yes, this isn't the statutory code, but what's important here, and we've talked about it in this space before, is that independent contractors, legitimate ones, not ones that are wrongly characterized as contractors and not employees, those folks are not entitled to protection under the National Labor Relations Act, at least with respect to whoever they're contracting for. They might be an employee of a different entity. And that's going to become a major kind of question here with respect to Microsoft and CWA and whatnot. So when Brad Smith here says, hey, it doesn't apply to that kind of thing, managers, confidential positions, he's including independent contractors. This is a reference to the definition used in the National Labor Relations Act, which means when we go back to look at this summary, we aren't talking about people in a contractor position. Now, we also saw that Activision Blizzard moved their quality assurance people to full-time employment positions for the most part as a part of all of this. But what Microsoft does and what the rest of Activision does in other roles is still an open question. So this covers the folks that the National Labor Relations Act can cover. That's all the CWA can be uh, aware of or caring of in their particular position here. But it can't cover independent contractors and Realistically, it could incentivize you to structure your company to really take advantage of that contractor relationship, which is then when we drag in California companies and AB5 and all sorts of stuff that we have covered in this space uh, a lot more in detail in other videos. Third, employees will have access to an innovative technology supported and streamlined process for choosing whether to join a union. So it sounds like Microsoft and CWA are going to help do something like a digital card check or otherwise that could potentially help that process at Activision Blizzard. We don't know what that looks like at all. Fourth, employees can maintain confidentiality and privacy of that choice if they wish, so they can be anonymous. One wonders exactly what that kind of data sharing approach is. Of course, data sharing being one of the other things that has either leaked out or been referenced in the letter to the FTC about things that they are otherwise concerned about with respect to the Activision Blizzard acquisition. Fifth, if a disagreement arises between the CWA and Microsoft under the agreement, the two organizations will work together promptly to reach an agreement and will turn to an expedited arbitration process if they cannot. So if they're fighting over any of this, hey, you said that thing, but that really wasn't neutral. Microsoft says, hey, that was neutral. And we get into a fight over it. And whether there's a breach or something along those lines, they've got an arbitration process put in there. So overall, it's Microsoft will remain neutral. The covered employees will be able to communicate, probably using worker material, uh, employer materials in some respects. There'll be a tech-based process. They can maintain confidentiality. And if there are any problems with those four things, we'll arbitrate them out. Now, importantly, CWA calls these binding commitments. We don't have any transparency as to what a breach looks like here. If they aren't otherwise violating the National Labor Relations Act, what is the redress? What are the penalties? We don't have any notion of what that might be. So they might be binding in concept because they are agreeing to promises between each other. Are they binding in reality? Depends largely on what's the punishment for breaking them. And we don't have any transparency there. Yet, this is still a big deal in video gaming and technology in North America in general. This is not the kind of thing that we have generally seen these tech titans and giants put together for American employees. And yes, I think that's motivated by the Activision Blizzard transaction, uh, although I think Smith denies it here, if I can find the highlight for that, where he says it has nothing to do with that. Uh, but otherwise, it is a big step forward for tech companies in trying to stay out of this unionization process. So even though I was critical of the Microsoft blog post in early June, 
I do think that this is a much more concrete example of Microsoft moving forward with this. Is it out of their goodness or their heart? No, that's not how big entities make these decisions. But could it be good overall for the gaming sector and for Microsoft in general? It could. That'll be up to determine as to how this looks after the acquisition takes place. But this was, in my opinion, about getting the CWA to drop their complaints to the FTC, getting them on board positive about this transaction, and another step towards Microsoft effectively saying, we're white knights, we're good guys, we're going to clean up Activision Blizzard King, FTC, it would be a mistake to get involved in all this, and to also potentially serve as precedent for the rest of the industry. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you're interested in more conversations about business and law of video games, technology, software, pop culture, and more, please do consider supporting us at Utreon, Patreon, or as a member of the YouTube channel. We cannot do it without support like yours or like opal-studded daggers, to which I give my thanks again. Otherwise, if you just want to subscribe, tell your friends, upvote, comment, engage with all of this stuff, put it on forums, every single little bit helps telling YouTube that we're having conversations like these. If you did watch this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it instead as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.